HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Heritage Foods, an online and wholesale distributor of heritage breed meat and poultry. Learn more at heritagefoods.com. I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat in 3, our weekly food news roundup. Fall is finally here, so it's time to get funky and devote an episode to some of our favorite spunky microbes. Fungi just provide this beautiful, whimsical lens on how the world works. They have so many roles. They're this strange and magical-seeming group of organisms, but they've got it all figured out. Should you eat the cheese rind? Can you eat the rind? These are like the biggest questions. We'll answer all of your questions about mysterious mushrooms and crazy curds. Plus, we'll give you a sneak listen to the newest season of Modernist Breadcrumbs. So tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to HRN Happy Hour. It's 5 o'clock somewhere, and somewhere is Bushwick. I'm Kat Johnson, the Communications Director here at HRN, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Katie Mosman-Wadler. Hey, Kat. Hello. And we also have HRN's Program Manager, Hannah Forden. Happy Thursday! (laughs) We just slipped that in. Hannah has a new title, guys. We're really excited. Hey, congratulations. (laughs) I was just... It feels official because it's my first happy hour. (laughs) Yes. I was just reading the script, and I was like, oh, it's new. I just kept going. It's awesome. We're really excited. Yes. And today's guests are Jillian Zettler, Alyssa Mountsmith, and Nisa Hicks from Charleston Wine and Food. Um, We are doing like a very early preview show, but it's never too early to talk about Charleston Wine and Food. Um, We'll be heading down once again this spring. The festival is March 6th through 10th, 2019. It's the 14th installment of Charleston Wine and Food, fueled by a contagious passion for the people and places that make Charleston more celebrating. This year's festival will feature over 100 unique culinary experiences that will fill your belly and feed your soul. Can't wait. Welcome, ladies. Hello, hello. Thanks for having us. We're so excited to have you anytime. It's always a good day to be in Bushwick. Yes, I agree. Um, So we're going to talk a little bit more about some highlights from last year's festival, what we can expect for next year. Uh, But first, we're going to do a few announcements. 
So we have a really exciting event coming up this Monday, November 5th, and it is in our very own building, 100 Bogart, which is our amazing co-working space. Um, And it's Co-Ferment, which is a tasting and panel discussion about the intersection of beer, wine, and cider, led by our very own Jordan Warner Berry and cider specialist Daniel Pucci. The Pooch. The Pooch, as he's affectionately known. Um, And we're going to focus on the ways in which these seemingly different beverages overlap in terms of production methods, farming, flavor, culture, and the language we use to talk about them. And Jordan has assembled an incredible panel of experts in the field, including John Reynolds of Black Duck Cidery in the Finger Lakes, Derek Trowbridge of Old World Winery in Sonoma, Lauren Grimm, who is based here in Bushwick, Brooklyn, of Grimm Artisanal Ales, and the incredible Krista Scruggs of Zaffa Wines, who is also making some cider in Burlington, Vermont. So it's from 6.30 to 9 on Monday, November 5th. There's going to be lots of opportunities to taste delicious beer, wine, and cider. You can purchase some coffee and maybe some home beer making kits and we're going to have delicious snacks from Samisa. You can get tickets at Eventbrite uh, and we hope to see you there. Um, and if you can't get enough of these funky flavors, you can get a preview of some of our panelists at Raw Wine. That's taking place Sunday the 4th and Monday the 5th of November. We will be partnering with Raw to bring you the Speaker's Corner, which will have uh, a series of panels and interviews and tastings um, with a lot of the people that will be featured at Raw Wine. Um, it's, a, it's a fair for organic and biodynamic wines and a few ciders. You can find more info about that at rawwine.com. And we're really excited that tickets are now on sale for our second annual gala, Winter in the Garden. And this year, last year was an amazing success. And this year, it looks like it's going to be even more fun and delicious. And we really hope that uh, many of you can join us. It is on Monday, December 3rd at the beautiful Palm House in Brooklyn Botanic Garden. Um, It's going to be a taste around event again, featuring some of our favorite chefs, from New York City and also some special guests from outside of the city as well. We're going to have signature cocktails from Damon Bolte and Souther Teague, the host of the Speakeasy, as well as the infamous Dave Arnold. Um, We're going to have music from DJ Cherish the Love and lots of amazing auction lots and games. Um, You'll be able to hang out and mingle with your favorite HRN hosts and personalities. Um, And it's going to be I think the best holiday party of the season. I'm going to go ahead and say that. So you can also get tickets for that at Eventbrite or check out our Facebook or website. Um, and yeah, it's going to be on December 3rd. See you Mark there. your calendars. Cool. All right. Well, those are our, head, our announcements for the week. And now we're going to turn back to our friends from Charleston Wine and Food. So let's kick it off. This is kind of the first time we've publicly debriefed about how awesome this festival was this past year. Um, what were some of your favorite moments, Jillian, like your highlights of the festival? Oh, I get to step in my time capsule. It feels so <laughs> far away <laughs> now. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I think that um, our Queens on King that we did, that our drag brunch the first year of that was just completely epic. Um, it was honestly like one of the most joyful events. I've said that over and over again, and I've been doing kind of food festival events for almost a decade. And there was just this sense of unity and happiness and the food was phenomenal. And it was just the perfect cap to the whole weekend. So that was a standout. Were you kind of, that was the first time you'd done a drag brunch. Mm -hmm. Were you kind of nervous about what people's reactions would be to that? Or did you have a sense that like, 
Charleston's going to love this. I think that like deep down in our bellies, it's just that there's there's this whole there's a feeling in Charleston that I feel like we wanted to push that energy out farther. You know, like I think that there were some people that were asking that very question, but our gut reaction as a team internally was like, no, people are going to want to throw down at this thing and it's going to be fun. And then whatever we thought it was just like 15 steps beyond that of people having a great time. And the demographic was so, so interesting at that event. How so? Just young people, old people, people that have been like tried and true fans of the festival since the beginning that are in their like late 60s and love the gospel brunch, but we're just wearing feather boas and glitter tiaras. <laughs> and it was just, it was amazing. It was a really, really, really cool thing. So we talked a little bit sort of offline about plans for the next year and, and you you guys talk a lot about how you keep some things, but you really want to change it up every year. You want the festival to be fresh and interesting. Um, but you are going to bring back the drag brunch. We are. And we're moving it to a new space. So Lowndes Grove um, is a beautiful plantation. It's really one of the only plantations on the peninsula. Um, it's got stunning views right on the water. So again, it's like kind of this juxtaposition of something that feels um, very progressive in a really historical place. And it should be just as epic i think so we should 100 percent pack our boas and glitter <laughs> and five inch heels and whatever else you can get in that suitcase absolutely consider it done good so how do you decide what events you do keep what what makes the cut and then how do you kind of um take into consideration what was a big success and brainstorm what to do new next year it's it's interesting. It's a I would say it's a pretty democratic process internally. Like we do a lot of big powwows. We have a big retreat after the festival's over. And sometimes it's like, okay, people love that so much. It still feels new. We should absolutely like maybe there are natural ways that we feel like we could enhance it or make it slightly different with a new inter- interpretation. And sometimes it's like, okay, people really love this, but are we as in love with planning a new installment of it? And I think when we don't feel inspired Inspired in a way to be able to put a new twist on it, we feel like we need to pack it away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that doesn't mean like there really are no rules with the way that these things go. So it doesn't mean that two years or five years from now, an event that you loved might actually make a sneak appearance back into the into the lineup. So for 2019, um, what are going to be some of the bigger changes or bigger themes, initiatives that you guys are going to be bringing on? Well, I mean, I honestly, dating back to us kind of doing a regroup together with HRN um, after the festival closed last year, you know, we had talked about how International Women's Day is falling on the Friday of the festival for 2019. Um, and then that we really, really wanted to not only increase the, the lack of there tended to be um, many more women at the uh, men in the festival than women and trying to make a concerted effort to, to change that um, and putting steps in motion to really see that come to life through the attendees. Um, so not only did we take some fantastic advice on um, connecting with, you know, using the eat database um, and putting out a specific letter to local chefs in Charleston to try to um, draw more female participants, we were really successful in doing that. So I would say celebrating women 
in and not just making it a one one time thing, but that this is really going to be the launching pad to have more gender and ethnic diversity in the festival's lineup. That's awesome. And you're going to do some special programming on that Friday as well. Yeah, I'm, I think one of the events I'm excited about um, on that day is called Smoking in the Boys Room. <laughs> so typically um, the festival has kind of ended with like a very like pit master heavy barbecue heavy event um, to cap <laughs> off the weekend, which kind of seems counterintuitive to feeling really full at the end of the weekend. <laughs> um, but we're doing that event on Friday this year. And there's a whole host of just really killer uh, female pit masters Ooh. that will be involved in that event. Um, and it happens to be taking place um, in this property called The Bend, which is owned by this woman, Susan Perlstein, who's just one of the most amazing female businesswomen in, in South Carolina. So it's just it's kind of a convergence of a lot of really great things. Great. Um, how, how have you seen, like, the relationship between Charleston Wine and Food and the overall Charleston food scene shift or change over the past 14 years? Well, I can certainly speak for the last five because that's when I've been in there. And then certainly as like a visitor to the city prior to that. But I do remember having a conversation when I first landed in Charleston. People were like, well, what do you see coming down the line? And you started to see this like peppering of more neighborhoods being established the same way like when you you know go to Manhattan or even here in Brooklyn I'm sure it feels like each little pocket kind of is starting to create its own identity and I think in the last five years and certainly in the last 14 you see that in Charleston um, that there's just different food identities all the way around the peninsula and then even that the the food is really far extended beyond just down to beyond downtown Charleston into, you know, James Island, Johns Island, Mount Pleasant, Sullivan's Island, North Charleston, having an amazing food scene. So, um, you know, it's just kind of the breadth of everything there has been a really, really large amount of growth, I think, in the past five years. So we, we've done more and more food festivals and especially festivals and events. And well, we're in New York, too. So any event we do here is very specific to a certain neighborhood. And then you go to food festivals in other cities. And I always say it's so different from Charleston because everything's so much more spread out. And that's one of the strengths, I think, of the peninsula. Everything is so easy to get to. Yep. So as Charleston's growing and as you have all these different new pockets that are a little bit more outside of the beaten path, um, how do you try to incorporate those new areas and those new restaurants and food scenes while keeping like the ethos of the festival kind of based around downtown? Well, I mean, I think that you guys as like, as, as generators of content for us, it's kind of following the stories, you know, and we want to, through the events that we produce, be really great storytellers. So I think it really just kind of comes to what is inspiring us at the moment and then really making that the foundation of the, the programming from year to year. And I think for even for locals, what we're excited about is that sometimes we're uncovering places and spaces, people, stories that it's in their own backyard and they don't even know that it's there. So I think I think it feels like less of a hindrance and more of really like kind of an exciting thing to go, oh my gosh, that's three miles from my house. And I never knew that they were, you know, growing lettuce vertically in, you know, shipping containers. That's amazing. Um, oh, there's monks growing these amazing mushrooms up in the hills, you know, <laughs> five miles from where I live. So I think that people generally are just kind of excited about dipping out beyond King Street. 
And I know you guys are doing a couple of events throughout the year, like small events here or there to kind of keep buzz going. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you come up with activations or pop-ups throughout the year to keep people interested? I mean, there's certainly a lot of ideas that come internally, but I have to give credit to the fact that we've got an amazingly vibrant chef community. And I think like the thing one, even one of the things that inspired me to want to take the job in Charleston as the executive director is that so many people take such sincere ownership. Like you could ask 30 different people like who, you know, who started, who founded Charleston Wine and Food. And there's so many people. I was a part of that. I was a part of that. And it was part of that wanting the ownership to make it great that makes it really exciting so ideas are generated from the relationships we have with chefs sometimes it's a fantastic partner of the festival you know as we're recapping we're trying to encourage people to throw ideas our way and then it's just being open and flexible enough to know that an idea could start you know somewhere and end up somewhere completely different by the time tickets go on sale and then being okay to kind of um, ride along with that not get boxed into like what you might have put on paper back in April. Mm-hmm. And tickets have gone on sale. They have gone on sale. For all events? All events, including the things that we're producing out of our own test kitchen this year. Cool. And how did you have a bunch of events sell out or do people have still a good opportunity to get out there and buy tickets to a lot of events? There's still a great diversity of tickets that are available. We definitely sell a ton of tickets within the first couple of weeks, um, but it's not like the leftovers are leftovers. I mean, there's fantastic programming um, that people can take advantage of, certainly. And for people who aren't super familiar with Charleston Wine and Food and the format, because there are so many different types of tickets on sale, can you talk a little bit about the structure and how there are dinners and different types of events. Yeah. So unlike, you know, some festivals sell like a kind of a one-stop shop pass, right? Where you can kind of, you have to buy one ticket and then you've bought everything and then you decide what you're going to do. We kind of come from a place where we want the experience to be completely a la carte and, you know, everybody's going and participating for the festival for different reasons. And we really think that's one of the strengths in the way that it's designed is that you can decide to go, you know, to a signature event that might be a hundred and 50, 500 people. It's late night. It's more lively. You can do something super cerebral and, you know, go to a beverage workshop and really dive deep on a certain varietal of wine. You could take a cooking class with only 40 people up front and close with a chef. Um, you know, the culinary village where you guys are usually camped out and, and recording interviews is probably the most fluid space, but there really is something for everybody. And we try to vary the price point. You know, we know that um, some things even kind of find financially might be loss leaders, but the content's really important to us and producing the experience is really important to us. So we try to make sure we've got a really, really great variety. Can you talk about like who's at the festival and how, I mean, because I think what's amazing is how many people come to Charleston to show up for this festival. Yeah. I mean, on from a talent standpoint, I mean, we had over 400 chefs participate last year and over 150 beverage professionals, certainly around those numbers again this year. Um, we had just under 30,000 people that came as attendees to the festival last year, and it was about a 50-50 split of locals and, and tourists. And, you know, it, 
it just never, I'm always surprised in a beautiful way every year, just how people mark that first full week in March. And that's where they're planning on being because of this event. And so, you know, there's a certain amount of, of weight that you carry. And that's kind of what charges you forward to make sure the programming is always really inspiring because, you know, it's such an important part of, of people's year to come and connect and celebrate. So since, since we're kind of in the part of the year that's not super Charleston wine and food focused, you know, we're, we gear up more at the beginning of the year. I, I am super curious to all of you, where are the places that you like to go What I'm calling off season? Like, what are your, what are your regular spots in Charleston? Oh, I know what they would say is my, my regular. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I love Hurriali. It happens to be right in our hood. Um, it's a beautiful little tiny restaurant that's definitely like whole food generated a lot of like vegan vegetarian beautiful dishes I mean these killer nachos with this cashew nacho cheese that I think that we would all like completely cover in in everything (laughs) they're so yummy and they make an excellent matcha latte Mm. um what else are our stomping grounds I love Indaco Mm. um it's so good their house made burrata is just insane Leon's is close to our office, and if you want the Siam salad, that thing is amazing. I love uh, Campai makes killer sushi. It's in a little strip mall in Mount Pleasant, um, but it's beautifully fresh. That's one of my favorite spots. You're getting Graft. me in trouble here. I'm not supposed to. I'm not supposed to play favorites. Craft <laughs> Wine Shop is like my go-to stop on the way home for my stocking up of bottle bottles and, at my and house. Goat Sheep Cow. Um, the ladies there are amazing, and they have this thing that they call crack cheese. That like with a baguette and some of that crack cheese, like it can fix any problem that you have. Is it like a pimento cheese? It's kind of like a cream. Uh, they're going to yell at me because I'm going to get the, it, it's like a feta-y sort of oh. scenario. Like goat cheese, goat cheese kind of very creamy. And the, you, it just like slides right across a fresh baguette. Yeah. It's beautiful. That's awesome. Um, some Someone on Facebook was asking like, I'm going to Charleston. What are the places that have been open in the past six months that I should go? And Graf was what came to mind for me because I'm like, I don't really know timelines, but... I do know that Graft is less than six months because he was opening yeah. the same weekend of Charleston Wine and Food last this Melfi's past year. just yeah. opened. Chubby Fish is new. Mm-hmm. Josephine Wine Bar, um, great wine program there and beautiful food. I mean, the there's a lot. It's amazing at Josephine. Yeah, there's a lot of new. Is that any relation to Josephine Nashville? No, different. no different. Yep. Um, Baba's on King just opened. Yeah, there's so many new things. Does Wait till you guys. Ooh. Does it seem back. like there there are more things opening at a faster rate right now? It's hard to say. I it doesn't seem necessarily feel like a faster rate, but you know, I think that I think just like every place, it's this like constant balance of staffing and workforce and all of that. So I think everybody is kind of, you know, juggling that as um as something to contend with. So in the planning process of the festival right now, kind of where, where are you? Um, what are the big things that you're currently working on for next year? So this is when things start to shift left, less into like who's doing what and more into how they're doing those things. So we've like kind of tipped into the logistical planning phase and, you know, how people are going to activate and what partners are going to be doing on the ground and what things are truly going to look like. Um, 
and that's kind of I mean that's kind of a fun thing it's it's nice that the year is really balanced into like designing the programming and figuring out who's going to be in each event and then how it all comes together um and that to me it always feels really miraculous that everything is conversations and emails and spreadsheets and all of that and then it becoming becomes this like living breathing thing for five days and now is the time when it starts to feel like the living breathing thing i don't think it really feels that way to me until the tents start going up in marion square like that's when you're like okay it's here or when the (laughs) when the packages start like coming in and we're going okay we've got magazines and lecrae and all you know william sonoma is you know sending things and that's when 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 the shipments start coming it starts feeling really real things are happening (laughs) how so you're kind of the core team. There's three of you. Um, I know that there are more that work on Charleston Wine and Food, but then how how big does the team kind of swell leading up to the, the actual festival? So there's, at this point now, we're at 10, we have 10 full-time staff members. Wow. Um, and that swells, I would say, to like kind of a core between full-time and contract about 30 to 35 people. And then with all of the folks that amplify that during the weekend of, I mean, there's probably 80, I would say, um, that are doing all of the behind the scenes. And then we've got over 500 volunteers that we could not do the event without. Um, And shout out to Jenna Kepley, who is managing all of those 500 volunteers, (laughs) because that's a big job. How do people get involved in being a volunteer for the festival? You can head to our website and you can sign up. And I think that's actually, you know, a great way to kind of understand the festival. We've actually had a lot of people who have just moved to Charleston and they're like, oh, that event like sounds really interesting. Maybe I'll volunteer. Um, Our operations manager actually started as a volunteer for the festival. We pulled her in as the volunteer coordinator and now she's our ops manager. So you never know what can happen when you volunteer. (laughs) Cool. Um, Well, let's take a really quick break and we'll come back. We'll talk a little bit more Charleston wine and food and then we'll play a little bit of trivia that Hannah wrote for you guys. It's weird. Oh, the trivia. Always. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Heritage Foods. Heritage Foods was founded to sell ancient breeds of livestock and poultry that were becoming extinct, largely because industrial agriculture willfully pushed healthy heritage breeds aside for more profitable, faster-growing animals. Rare heritage breeds are saved when popular demand increases and farmers have the incentive to raise them. This Thanksgiving, we encourage you to buy a turkey from Frank Reese's Good Shepherd Poultry Ranch. Frank's turkeys are 100% purebred heritage, 100% pasture-raised, and 100% antibiotic-free. Turkeys are available in two-pound increments. You choose your size. Don't wait. Pre-order your Heritage Thanksgiving turkey today at heritagefoods.com. Welcome back to HR and Happy Hour. We're here with the ladies, the fabulous ladies of Charleston Wine and Food. Okay, so we've talked a lot about Charleston. Um, but you guys are very lucky in that you get to come hang out in New York a few times a year, which That's is nice because sure. we love to hang out with you. Um, so I'm going to flip kind of the question about Charleston, your go-tos. What do you love to do while you're in New York? Eat. 
eat. Yeah. <laughs> I would never eating. guess. Lots of eating. I'm like a soul cycle evangelist. So usually it's eating and then it's spinning to try to like negate all the Roberta's pizza and everything that we're, we're trying to cram it all in while we're here. Do you have soul cycle in Charleston? No, we've got a great local studio called Charleston Revolution that I'm addicted to. So we'll get you on a bike. You can come and eat. Well, no. <laughs> Hannah's, Hannah's making big eyes on me. bike. Scared. <laughs> I think it's the it's the walking. Like, I love that you can walk everywhere and everything is connected. And the city just always kind of fuels you with a lot of good energy. I think that's why a lot of New Yorkers like to go to Charleston when in food, though. Because you don't, you, you still get to walk around a lot. You don't feel like, oh, I just spent a week in a city eating. You're like, no, I still at least maintained my walking. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's nice. Um, it, well, any other like restaurants you have your eye on? I know you said you went to Cosme last night. Went to Cosme last night. It was awesome. I thought it was so great that the food was just elevated and beautiful, but not stuffy. I mean, you can just even like all the way down to the pre- precision lighting over the tables. Mm-hmm. It was just great. And the soundtrack, like whoever's in charge of curating their playlist, it was just really cool of celebrating, um, you know, the, the heritage of the food and then also like really modern, great playlist was on point. Tonight we're going to carve out after our soul cycle at Pig and Cow for the coconut rice with oh, Leah Cohen. Yeah. Oh, that coconut yeah. rice. That's my jam. Oh. And Leah was at the festival last year, mm-hmm. right? Is she com- returning? Yeah. You, you yeah, wanna... she's coming this year, and she's doing a really cool event we're excited about called Kamayan Night. And oh, yeah. um, this was her brainchild, so it's exciting to see her kind of bring this to life in Charleston. It's going to be a traditional Filipino feast paired with Orchid, who's one of our South Carolina State um, chef ambassadors. And it's going to be really fun. You can still get tickets to that one, too. So that's one of the, like, hidden gems, I think, that's on the website for people to go check out. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, All right. Well, let's jump into a little bit of trivia. Let's do it. Hannah, do you want to read or do you want me to read? I would love to. I always get an F at this. Be easy on me, Hannah. I I get to play this time. You know, I was, I don't know. Yeah, I was like, it was early on Monday morning, and and I just went down a strange path. So. (laughs) (laughs) We're ready. As you probably know, Charleston is named for, in honor of British King Charles II, who reigned from 1660 to 1685. And so King Charles II is the subject of today's trivia. Oh, God. Um, I'm looking at you, Alyssa. (laughs) (laughs) Not the kind of Charleston history you maybe thought. Taking you by surprise. Okay. So Charles II was one of the most popular and beloved monarchs in British history and was known to love a party. So which of the following nicknames did his subjects give their king? Is it one, Old Copper Nose, two, The Merry Monarch, three, The Lion, or four, The Red King? So all of those are real king nicknames, but only one of them belongs to Charles II. So it's Old Copper Nose, The Merry Monarch, The Lion, or The Red King? I kind of want to go with... Where are you going? I was thinking two. It just sounds the most... The Merry Monarch? Yeah, I want to go with the the copper just because it sounds the weirdest, and that should be what it is. <laughs> it sounds like someone missing their nose. Old copper nose. Okay, you're going with copper nose. I'm going with copper nose. Okay, well the answer is the Mary Monarch. Oh man, that was too obvious. Said sorry. It's too obvious. Okay, so I'm going to jog your English history uh, muscles a little bit. So Charles came of age during what war fought on English soil? Oh gosh. I don't know anything about wars on English soil. What about you two? Yeah, I'm pretty 
Okay, I'll give you a hint. There were no other countries involved. The War of England. <laughs> okay, it's the English Civil War. I'll give you oh. <laughs> the War. Of, the I War of pretty close. <laughs> if you ask the, the peanut English gallery, I'll give it to you. The English yeah, War. Yeah, I'll give it to you. I'll that give it that to English you. one. Okay, so uh, this is a fun one. In 1649, Charles II's father, Charles I, was executed by what method? How fun. I know, right? <laughs> he was beheaded. Yes! Yeah. <laughs> Guillotine. Okay. So French of them. <laughs> Another super fun one. Early in Charles's reign, his capital city was struck by the Great Plague of London. What illness was the Great Plague? Cholera. Bubonic. 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 The bubonic plague. Okay, last one. King Charles and his wife, Catherine of Braganza, never had any children, but it's well known that he had children out of wedlock with many other women. How many Chill. children is it estimated that King Charles II had? Oh, gross. gross is right. <laughs> 13? That, that I'll give it to you. It was 12. That's oh, very close. Yes. Baker's doesn't. Oh, Baker's <laughs> doesn't. Don't ruin that for me, Hannah. <laughs> That was fun trivia. Yeah, well done. Thanks for the uplifting trivia. (laughs) (laughs) Bubonic plague, beheading, and extramarital affairs on HRN. I knew if it was about Charleston, you guys would kick it out of the park. So I had to make it kind of sneaky to keep you on your toes. (laughs) Good stuff. I want to know who the the old copper nose is. That was Henry VIII. Did he have a fake nose? So it's got to be alcohol, right? Yeah, I think it was from drinking. He also had a lot of like weird health problems. So, so we had a fake people were not healthy nose. back then. No, no, they were not. <laughs> yeah, lots of venereal diseases and no fun. <laughs> it's lunchtime. So fun. Are you got, you want some pizza? <laughs> Time for pizza. All right. Well, um, to end things, um, one more time, how can people find out about Charleston Wine and Food Festival and learn more and get tickets and all that good stuff? The best way is to head to our website, follow us on Instagram, and find us on Facebook and Twitter. But the website is the best place to get a resource um, as a resource, charlestonwineandfood.com. Amazing. All right. Well, that is our show. Thanks again to Jillian, Alyssa, and Nisa for joining us today. And thanks to Hannah and Katie and our engineer, Matt Patterson. Yay, Matt. Yay, Matt. Oh, I thought yeah, I was going to say something, like and he's not. Speak, okay. Oh, no. He's like, <laughs> yes? I was, like, I was thinking about hitting the applause, but then I was like, am I really going to do that for myself? Oh, you're I so mean, humble. Why not? We'll clap for you. You have, the, you have the power. I, I know, but I don't want to abuse it. Oh, <laughs> That's really so thoughtful. Good. Okay. So I was so ready for breaking news, and then you didn't do it, and I was like, oh. Oh, yeah. Oh. No breaking news today. Slow news day in uh, at HRN. All right. Well, that's our show. Thanks for listening. I'm Kat Johnson, and we'll see you next week. HRN Happy Hour is powered by Simplecast. Simplecast is a popular hosting and analytics platform that allows podcasters to easily host and publish to apps like Apple Podcasts. If you have a podcast or are looking to create your very first, check it out. Try it for free and save half off your first three months at simplecast.com forward slash heritage. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization 
driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.